Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. The goal, what they were trying to do with that was they were trying to get to 400 kilometers per hour and then get back to zero as quick as they could. And I wondered out loud this morning in first service, what is the conversion between 400 kilometers an hour and miles per hour? And you never fail to disappoint me. Someone walked out after church and told me that it's 248.548 miles an hour. And I think that the record at the Indy 500 is like 231, if I'm not mistaken. All I know is that is incredibly fast, and I want one of those cars. So anything you can do to make that happen, I'd be eternally grateful. So our series, Hot Pursuit, uh, the tagline on that is the continual pursuit of more. Today I want to talk about something that may or may not hit you. I think if you are totally honest, you would walk out and say, no, I needed that. Uh, I want to talk this morning about our craving for perfection. And you may be in here and think, well, I don't really have a craving for perfection. That's kind of how it hits me at first. I think to myself, I don't think I have a craving for for perfection, but the more I go along in this this morning, I think what you'll find is that there's a little bit of that for all of us to deal with. Um, Some people struggle mightily with what we're going to talk about this morning. We can develop this unhealthy need to meet expectations, either, either our own expectation or someone else's expectation and then we come to Christ and we try to follow God and and we throw his expectation on top of that and it can be daunting I'm curious as to how many of you are often hard on yourself because you just feel this pressure to perform and to be uh, perfect as you really struggle and and you know we all mess up and and the, the the pain and the frustration that that can sometimes cause what's really amazing to me is I've known some people who were perfectionists and really hard on themselves. They demanded a lot of themselves, but if someone else messed up, they showed incredible grace. I've, I've been around and seen people like that, who their standard for their own living and their own life was incredibly high, but when someone else was unable to live out you know, what their expectations were, these people have been incredibly gracious. We can often hold unrealistic expectations in life and when we're unable to live up to those we can feel these deep levels of of shame and guilt and and unworthiness and on top of all that it can be incredibly intimidating especially when you get into scripture especially when you listen to Jesus and some of the things that Jesus had to say you look at what Jesus had to say in the gospel of Matthew and I'm just going to tell you this is this is intimidating to me be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect there's no pressure there. <laughs> just, just, just be like God. Be perfect. Never sin. Never have a bad thought. Never look at someone critically or never look at someone with lust in your heart. Never, you know, just be perfect. There's no pressure. And again, some of us struggle with this way more than others. It's interesting how all this impacts us in different ways. If, if you battle with this whole idea of of perfectionism in in some areas you will at times you're going to show an image of yourself that's not really real and and the words that should jump to your mind right now are Facebook and Instagram that's where you see that you might avoid doing something that you might like to do because you feel this pressure to achieve and and if you feel like you're not going to be able to achieve you don't even want to try because you, you begin to feel inadequate and you'd rather just 
avoid it than, than you would to fail at it. Or, or you may go to the other extreme and you may obsess over your performance so much and how you're doing that you, become, you reach this level of inefficiency where you're not getting whatever it is done because your, your, your expectations and the perfection that you expect of yourself are so high that you, just, you're, you become inefficient. And you would say this is the price you pay for success. And a lot of people can struggle with that. I want to talk to you for a moment about three different types of perfectionism. And, you know, it's possible that as I go through these, you're going to hear this and it's going to sound familiar to you. It's going to, you're going to see yourself in it a little. You're going to hear it and go, oh, wow, that, you know, I didn't really expect to hear myself, but there I am. Three different types of perfectionism. Number one, the self-oriented perfectionist. These are the expectations that you put on yourself. And if you are that kind of person, you're, you're battling things like guilt. This can reach the point, again, of, of inefficiency. And, and if I just described you, you are likely prone to um, um, procrastination. And you struggle with these feelings that you're just not good enough. You're inadequate in some way. You would say, I've got to live up to my own standards and, and I don't want to do it uh, if, if it's, you know, so I feel ashamed or guilty. Then there's the externally oriented perfectionist. This is what you believe others expect of you. You're trying to live up to the expectations of everybody else. If this is you, you think that others have these, these expectations and you better live up to them or you're going to disappoint them and you're going to have to live under this canopy of, you know, I didn't achieve, I didn't make it. So to cope with that pressure, what you will do is you'll make self-deprecating remarks. You'll poke fun at your work ethic. You'll poke fun at your looks or your intelligence, your performance. And you'll do it totally as a defense. And you will often feel very alone and, and depressed. And, and you'll feel uh, the secretly, you'll, you'll feel desperate. Because you know no matter how hard you try, you are never going to be good enough to live up to your idea or someone else's idea, what you've perceived that they expect from you. And then the third one, is the others-oriented perfectionist. The others-oriented perfectionist. This is when you impose your expectations on someone else and you expect someone else to live up to your impossible standard. And, and your challenge is that you lack empathy when that happens. Um, and because you lack empathy, you will tear someone else down, or you might use abrasive or, or demeaning language. You, you'll use sometimes demeaning humor to those that, that don't meet your standards. Some of you had parents like this. Some of you may be parents like this. And if you recognize yourself in any of these categories, I want you to try to see the spiritual side of perfectionism because a lot of times we see perfectionism as like a, a psychological issue. We, you know, we would say, well, you should get therapy or counseling for that. I mean, you know, that's a psychological thing. But this can be a very real spiritual problem. Perfectionism is often a covering for deep insecurities and for fear and for sin. And, and it's creating the illusion or the external standard that if I live up to this, then I'll be good enough for somebody, either myself or I'll be good enough for other people or I'll, I'll please God. And, and there's always this standard that you're, you're, you're trying to reach, you're trying to live up to something that somebody has put on you. 
Um, at its root, perfectionism really is a spiritual problem, and it's, it's there because we're covering for our insecurities and our sinfulness. And so if you go way back to the Garden of Eden, and you have Adam and Eve. I've had people ask me, Brett, why did God put the tree, the forbidden fruit, in the garden? That's a great question, and I've got a whole teaching on it. I'd love to talk to you about it sometime, but they do. They, God puts this, I mean, everything's perfect for them. It's all set up. They live freely. They're in great relationship with each other. They have a relationship with God. Everything's wonderful, and then this tree shows up, and God says, don't touch it, don't eat from it, just leave it alone. Well, <laughs> I mean, try that with a five-year-old, right? Put something in the middle of the room and tell them don't touch it and watch what happens. It's the first thing they go to. And sure enough, Adam and Eve, they eat this fruit, they look down, they realize, oh no, all this, all this freedom, all this love and all this great, the way we felt, it's all gone out the window, now we're naked. Now we've got to cover ourselves. They felt guilt. They felt shame. They felt insecurity. That's what you do. You you begin to cover yourself. Moses did a similar thing. He goes up and he sees God on this mountain. He talks to God and scripture tells us that his face shone with the glory of God. And then we're told that he puts this veil over his head and you would think that the reason he put a veil over his head is because he's trying to shield this glory from the people. He doesn't want the people to be blinded by this glory when in fact what scripture says is the glory was fading and he didn't want anybody to know that the glory was fading so he covered it. And often that's kind of symbolic of what we do. The veil is a covering of the insecurity that we feel. And that's why so often we show others what we think they want to see and why at times perfectionism is a covering for our insecurities our fears and our sinfulness so what do we do at its root this is a spiritual problem and so we must let God solve the problem if it's a spiritual problem today I want to as clearly as I can show you how we are actually made right with God and some of you you're going to hear this and you're going to think to yourself, well, I've heard that a million times, Brett. I mean, that's nothing new there. But I've been praying this week that you would hear it differently. I've been praying that, that um, I'm going to say this in a way or I'm going to say something today that strikes you differently and, you're going to, and it's going to be changing your life, you know, that you're going to walk out and go, wow, I hadn't heard it like that. That's been my prayer this week. Romans 3 verse 20 is where I'm going to read, start reading from. It's It's Paul writing to the church at Rome, and he says, for no one, that includes you, that includes the person sitting next to you, left and right, front and rear, that's your mama, that's your spouse, which you already know, that person, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands, not your priest, not your pastor. We just don't have it in us to completely obey the law. We just don't. Then he says the law simply shows us how sinful we are. In other words, on our own, um, in our own fleshly sinfulness, we could never live up to the standard that God has set. Scripture's pretty clear on that. We're we're in Romans 3.20, and if we'd move down to three verses, I'll quote it to you a little bit later, um, you're going to see Scripture's very clear that you're not going to live up to the standard which begs a very serious question why did God give us the law if we can't live up to it why in the world did God give it to us to begin with and the answer Paul tells us at the end of that verse he says the law simply shows us how sinful we are see when you look in the mirror mirror don't lie 
If you have a zit on your forehead and you look in the mirror, zit is front and center. You can't get rid of it. If you're having a bad hair day, mirror don't lie. Mirror tells you. If, if you have an unfortunate face, <laughs> try to be nice, all the looking in the mirror you want to do isn't going to improve your unfortunate face, right? It's mirror doesn't lie. It, it's, that's, what, that's what the law does. The law, you look into it and it tells you the truth about yourself and what the law says is you can't live up to this standard. The law reveals the reality that we need help. We need grace. We need mercy. We will never be good enough on our own. We talk about the Ten Commandments. I mean, before we get to the Ten Commandments, let's imagine for a minute that we were Pharisees in the time of Jesus. The Pharisees had 613 different commands that they had to live up to. Can you imagine? Ten is daunting enough. Ten's intimidating enough. Just... How do you do on the Ten Commandments? Over the course of your life, how do you do? I mean, if we just start with don't put anything ahead of God, okay, for me, over the course of my life, there have been times I've done that. Fail. Don't lie. Fail. Don't covet. Fail. Because I want your hot tub. I want your hot tub. I joke with people, I don't want your hot tub, I just want one just like it. That's not coveting. I just, I, you know, I convince myself that's different. And some of you right now are thinking, I hope he doesn't go through the whole list. I hope he, we're not going to get into some of those other ones. No, we'll stop right there. No matter how hard we try, we cannot live up to even the Ten Commandments kick our tail. The problem today is that when we try to address our culture and speak into culture, they don't want to hear the message, and here, here's the message, and I understand why they don't want to hear it. Basically, they're saying, Brett, don't tell me I'm a bad person. Don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't tell me I don't get it right. Don't tell me I'm a good person, Brett. Don't judge me. Here's the truth. My name's Brett. I love you. I'm here to tell you the truth. You are a jacked-up mess. I am too. We we are a jacked up bunch of people. We don't get it right. I, I am an evil sinner. The Bible refers to us. Scripture says in, in, a, in one place it, it, it describes us as enemies of God. Oh my goodness. You're jacked up, so am I. We we, we won't get this right. You say, no, Brett, I'm good, I'm not bad. No. You're not a good person who occasionally gets it wrong. You're a bad person who once in a while gets it right. And I've said that to people before, and they push back. No, Brett, that's not me. I'm a good person. Well, here's my question. If you are a good person who occasionally gets it wrong and not a bad person who sometimes gets it right, my question for you is this. Why can't you be good all the time? Why can't you just be good all the time? And the answer is... At our core, we are glorified two-year-olds. At our core, we're selfish. Now, we, we learn how to hide that as we get older, and we learn how to be adults, and we learn how to play nicely with others, but only we know, because we don't let any, we don't talk about this, we don't want anybody else to know, only we know 
what evil lurks in our mind and how badly we want what they have or how, how much we're looking and trying to imitate them or how we are lusting after them or that, right? And we don't talk about that stuff and we don't want anybody to know that stuff even though it's going on. At our core, we are sinful. Not just you, all of us. Welcome to Cross Lane. I'm here to make you feel better about yourself. I hope it's working. Scripture says, above all else, your heart is deceitful. It lies to you. It's so messed up, it can't even, it can't even tell you the truth about you. Every single one of us, we have all, as this is it, this is where we come to Romans 3.23, we, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Our sinfulness, we do not have the capacity to live up to that standard that God has put out there and said, you want to enter heaven on your own merits? This is what it takes. Perfection. That's what it takes. And God took one look at us and he said, there's no way you're ever going to live up to that standard. So I'm going to have to do something. Now listen to me. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. It's never my goal that you walk out those doors and you feel horrible about yourself. That's never my goal. But I do have a responsibility to tell you the truth about who you are and about who I am and about what we're doing and what God's done about it. See, until you see yourself as a sinner, you will never see yourself in need of a Savior. You've you got to get to a place where you realize, I, I, I need some help. And that's why the law shows us, hey, you need help. You, you, the, you, you can't be perfect. You can't live up to that. So the question comes, Brett, what do I do? How do I get made right with God? And what do we call that? We call that righteousness, right? That's what righteousness is. It's, it's being made right with God, a right standing with God. Brett, how do I get there? I know you've heard this. Some of you have heard this many times, but I'm, I'm pray, I've prayed today, been praying this week for you, that I'll say this differently and you'll leave here and you'll go, man, I, I see it. I never saw it like that before. Paul goes on to say in Romans 3, verse 22, we are made right with God, not by religious efforts, not by uh, you know, eliminating all the bad stuff in our life, not by joining a church, not by going to church. I want you to come to church. I do. I want you to come to church. But your coming to church in and of itself does not make you more righteous. I heard somebody say one time, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Right? That's true. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He was perfect in every way. Something that we are not. He's the one who hung out with sinners, the unrighteous people. He gave his life as a sacrifice. He lives this perfect life, and he goes to the cross to pay a price that we could never pay because we couldn't live up to that standard. Only, only Jesus could. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Doesn't matter how much we mess up. Doesn't matter how much darkness there is in our heart and in our spirit. This is true for all believers. No matter who you are. How are we saved? We are saved by Christ. Not Christ plus church. Not, not Christ plus good works. Christ plus walking little old ladies across the street, not Christ plus not doing bad things. It's Christ alone. That is our salvation. 
Faith in him. It isn't perfection, it's grace. It is the grace of God. Now let's contrast the two. What is perfectionism? Perfectionism focuses on what I do. My performance, my effort, my religious work. I went to church today. I read my Bible today. I, I, you know, I, I mowed the grass for the church today. I served in some way. I went to youth group. Grace focuses on what Jesus has already done. See, I've, I've, I've taught you this before, but the difference between every other world religion and Christianity is really just two letters. See, in every other world religion, what you, what, it's what you do. It's what you do that saves you. Mecca, they pray to, or uh, in, in Islam, they pray to Mecca three times a day. The Judaism, they've got a whole list of things that they've got to keep. There's all these traditions, and you've got to keep them just right, or they think God gets mad at you, God won't bless you. You look at every other world religion, and it's what you do. Then you come to Christianity, and you get two extra letters, N-E. And it's what Christ has done for you that you couldn't do for yourself because you were inadequate and you couldn't live up to that standard. And so it's, it's what, you know, grace focuses on what Jesus has already done. And with perfectionism, it's all about me. It's all about my performance, my works, my efforts. With grace, it's all about Jesus and what he's done, the sinless work of the, of the Son of God. Perfectionism believes, if I obey, God will love me. That's what perfectionism says. If I'm holy, if I'm good enough, then God will bless me and God will love me. But grace is different. Grace starts with the love of God. And it says, because God loves me, I can choose to obey. See, as your pastor, I want you to do the right thing. But here's what I know. Most people are doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And I don't want you to do the right thing for the wrong reason, because here's what I know. I know that when you do the right thing for the wrong reason, you won't do it for very long. You'll get bored. You'll get exasperated. You'll get frustrated. And you'll just throw your hands up, and you'll quit doing the right thing, because doing the right thing a lot of times is hard. But when you do the right thing, for the right reason, when you wake up in the morning and you realize, I have been forgiven, I am under the grace of God, I've got something that I could not do for myself, God, thank you, I love you, because you love me, how can I serve you today? And it drives you to better living, it drives, I say it all the time, Jesus makes you better at life and makes your life better. I, don't, I got that from Andy Stanley, I've heard him say that a thousand times. Jesus makes you better at life and he makes your life better. And so you just wake up and you realize, man, I've been forgiven. I mean, everything I've ever done, if I'm a believer, if I'm a Christian, has been forgiven. Well, what's my response to that? How do I serve? How do I glorify God? How do I take my life because of what he's done for me? See, that's, that's, what, that's what grace says. Perfectionism says I need to win God's approval. i got to perform for it. i gotta, I got to win it somehow. Grace says... Because of Jesus, I am living from God's approval. He already approves of me. If you've given your life to Christ and you've been forgiven, God approves of you. Now, if you're on the outside of that looking in and you're saying, well, I want to be approved, it's pretty simple. You repent 
You come to Christ. You admit you're a sinner. You admit your need for a sinner, for a Savior. And you tell Christ that you want to be forgiven. And you recognize that what he did on the cross, he did for you. And then you can, too, live your life from the approval of God. You know, because of what he's done when I put my faith in him, I don't have to be perfect. I don't, it doesn't have to always be right. Now, I want it to be. I'm not suggesting for a second that we just simply give up trying. If you hear that, you're, you're not hearing my spirit. I'm not suggesting to you that you stop trying. I'm not suggesting to you, well, it's okay if you mess up. It's, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. No. We want to do the right things. We want to be good. We want to behave well. But some of you are such perfectionists, and you're, you're so worked up, oh, you know, I've let, oh, I let God down or I let them down. Listen, when you come to Jesus and you get forgiven, here's the thing that I'm trying to get you to understand. The pressure is off. And you can just go, no more pressure. You're free. Step into it. Embrace it. You do not have to be perfect to please God. The pressure's off. If we truly understand this, it should change the way we think. It should change everything. It should change the way we relate to other people. It should change the way we relate to God. It should change our church experience. Grace takes the pressure off. I want to give you two thoughts of application before I send you home this morning, and I've been praying that you'd hear these differently this week, that this wouldn't just make it into your head. This would make it into your heart, and it would, it would make a life change for you. The first principle I would give you is choose people over perfection. Choose people over perfection. We get to choose intimacy and relationship and depth of connection instead of performance and perfectionism. Luke illustrates this beautifully in Luke chapter 10. I talk about these two ladies all the time because there's, the story is so rich. But the story where Jesus is coming for a dinner party to the home of Mary and Martha. Now just think for a minute you know, you're going to have a dinner party. You're going to have somebody that's really important, your kid's teachers, or, or you're going to have your husband's boss or your wife's boss, and, and they're going to, you're having this party, and you're going to entertain them, and they're coming to your house. And think about how you would want to put your best foot forward. You want everything to look right. You want it to look like you've got it all together. You don't want the dog barfing in the living room. You know, you want it all to go just right. Now imagine that Jesus is the one that's going to be in your house. That's what Mary and Martha got going on. And, and, and he's coming. <laughs> and Martha's wigging out. You know, everything had to be perfect. What are we going to do, Jesus? I got, it's got to be perfect. And Martha's in the kitchen, and she's working, and, you know, I just imagine flour flying through the air and, you know, just hair disheveled and, you know, smudge of flour on her face, just the whole thing. Meanwhile, Mary is in the other room with Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to, hanging on every word. And it doesn't take long. You know, Martha's cutting onions or whatever she's doing, and she realizes, I'm in here doing this all by myself. I am all alone. I'm working so hard. <laughs> that she eventually walks into the other room, and she chastises Mary. Mary, get off your behind. And she even gets after Jesus. Tell her to help me. I'm in here doing all this by myself. 
And then you get Jesus' response in verse 41. My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. Martha, I don't care about that stuff. That, that, that's, that, those details don't mean anything to me. That, that really is not all that important. That stuff doesn't last. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha, choose people over perfection. Don't miss this moment trying to live up to something that's not even real. Dee Dee and I, in the past, have, had, have hosted a small group. We didn't this semester because Dee Dee's been really busy and it was just easier for her this, this, this time to skip it. But, but um, we, we've had small group in our house. And if you've ever hosted small group, you know what that means. That means you come home from work, you scurry around, you clean your house up, you want to put your best foot forward, right? You want it all to be spotless. You, want to, you just want to look like you've got the perfect household, that everything's perfect. And we were doing that, we're knocking ourselves out, and every time I would, and I'm, you know, vacuuming, and, and which is things that you should do, but I start thinking to myself, wait a minute, these people know me, okay? They're, they're coming into my house, they know me, they know I'm not perfect. They, they know, I, I, I stopped one time and I said, Didi, I am not perfect. She said, good, neither am I. I said, listen, our household isn't perfect, our house isn't perfect, I'm not performing, we shouldn't, we straighten and clean, yes, but let's not do this to the level that they think that we live in this spotless, like we never eat at the table or anything, you know, it's just always perfect. I said, I'm not interested in projecting that image. Instead of focusing on the house, babe, why don't we just focus on loving these people? I mean, yes, we're going to clean and straighten and it's going to look nice when you walk in. But, but let's not go crazy. Let's focus more on the love side of this. Let's focus on the people side of this. So if you come to my house, you just need to understand the pressure is off. No, there's no performing. You don't have to be a certain way to be around me. We choose people over perfection. Better said, we choose people over the illusion of perfection because perfection cannot be reached by us. You're loved. You're blessed. You're welcomed. I'm going to offer you something to eat. We're going to sit down and talk about things. You can say what you need to say. You can say it how you need to say it. None of that's going to offend me. My experience is when I'm dealing with people who are perfectionists, they're not ready for my real. They're not ready for me to get real. And sometimes I've been real with people and thought, you know, that's what they want, only to discover, ooh, scared them to death. Well, he's, I, he's a pastor. I thought he had it all together. No. Listen, Dee Dee and I aren't going to act any other way but real with you. And that's the way we need to be with each other. Does that mean we stop trying? No. Does that mean we're not trying to live up to the law? No, that's not what it means. Does that mean that we don't want to be good? That's not what it means. We're, we're trying to do all those things. We're trying to be good people, <laughs> understanding that we're not good people but the pressure's off choose people over perfection number two we can choose perfect love over perfect performance 
what is a spirit of perfectionism? It's a covering. It's a, it's, it's trying, we're trying to cover up our insecurities and our fear and our sinfulness. And, and you know, what's your greatest insecurity? What, what would you say you're trying to cover up around other people? What's the thing that you don't want them to know about you and that you don't, you know, you don't want to let your guard down? Oh, can't let them know that. For some, it's a deep feeling of inadequacy. For some, it's, it's guilt. In others, it's, it's shame. Some people have this huge fear of rejection. And some people, they, they just have this fear of being judged. Whatever it is, it's a covering and it's a bad one. Listen to me. You don't have to be perfect. But Brett, didn't Jesus say, I mean, didn't you read earlier, be perfect? Listen, when I quoted that earlier, I quoted it intentionally out of context. When you read Scripture, it's really important when you read Scripture to understand something in its context, to know what's going on around it. Uh, just as an example, you know, there's a passage of Scripture that gets quoted all the time. In fact, I saw it tattooed on the arm of one of the basketball players in the tournament last night. He had uh, Philippians 4.13 tattooed on his arm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's awesome. That, doesn't that sound great? It sounds be a perfect thing for a, a basketball player to put on his arm. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, except when you read that in context, you realize that it's not talking about some athletic endeavor. It's not talking about that. It's talking about a list of things that Paul just went down, and then he follows it up with, and as hard as it sounds to do those, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, taking that out of context doesn't hurt anybody. Nobody's going to hell. God isn't like, you know, oh, they took it out of context. You know, no, that's not happening. But it's just a good idea to put things in context and know what's happening around the verse. And in this particular thing that I read to you earlier, we're, we're, we're called to be perfect like God is perfect. It's all about love. It's not about behavior. It's about our response to God's love and how we are to love other people. Listen to the love in this teaching. Jesus said, Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Which, can I just stop right there and tell you, this was revolutionary to the people who heard this. Nobody talked like this. Nobody taught things like this. This was Rome, and you're proud, and you stand strong, and it's about honor, and you don't ever give in. You don't cave and Never talk about something like humility. Humility was not even a concept for them. Not till Jesus showed up. And he starts talking about praying for your enemies. Two verses later, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? He's like, you're, you know, if you just live at a base level, you don't shine. You don't do anything big for God. He goes on, verse 47, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Then he says it. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When Jesus talks about being perfect, he isn't talking about your behavior or your performance. He's talking about being perfected in love. The word that he uses there is a Greek word. It's teleos. Teleos. And teleos just simply means mature or complete. Later on, Jesus is going to die on the cross, and he's going to have the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross, and one of those is, it is finished. And that word finished is the word that he uses, tetelestai. That has teleos as a root in it. 
So what's he saying? He says it's finished, it's mature, it's complete, it's over. It's reached its, its destination. So what Jesus is saying is love. Listen, you've been taught to love those who are nice to you and hate your enemies. I'm telling you, that's old news. There's a new standard now. The new standard is you pray for your enemies. You serve those people. You love them. Well, Jesus, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Love everybody. Love freely. Forgive because you've been forgiven. Ooh, I hate that. Be perfected in love. We aren't talking about being perfected in performance. We're talking about being perfected in love. Listen, I'm trying to convince you I'm not trying to convince you or anybody else that I'm perfect. All you got to do is hang out with me for just a teensy, teensy little bit of time and you realize this dude's jacked up. He's, he's really a mess. My calling isn't to convince you to be better. My calling is to convince you how good God is. So, it's not about our performance, it's about Jesus. It's not about our righteousness, it's about his righteousness. Now, before I send you home, I've said some hard things this morning. I've called you jacked up. I, I've said all kinds of hateful, nasty things to you. So I want to make you smile before you go home, okay? Let's, let's cheer up. I just want to show you a video and make you smile before you go home. I love that last one. He's doing so good, and he realizes, oh, it's all coming to an end, and the eyes get wide, right? Oh, my. See, listen, when they fell, the parents didn't scold them. They didn't yell at them. You're a horrible walker. Come on. Get up. You can do better than that. You're my son. We don't do that. That's not, nobody, nobody's yelling at those kids. We pick them back up, right? We dust them off. When, when Bennett was little and he would fall over, you know, he did that thing where he would look at me to see whether or not he was hurt. You know what I'm talking about? Like, should I be crying right now? And my mother, you know, I didn't want to be one of those helicopter parents, so whenever he would fall, my mom wanted to jump up and go, you know, is he okay? And I'm, I would hold her back, like, no, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Let's see if he cries first. And if he cries, I'll go comfort him, but if he's not going to cry, I'm not going to make him cry. I'm not, I don't want to encourage him to cry. And most of the time, you know, he'd look at me, and he's like, well, Dad doesn't seem too concerned. I guess I'm okay, and he'd just keep on walking. Listen, God... God does not withdraw his love from you when you screw it up. You, you, you fall down and face plant into the egg basket or face plant into the cardboard box. God doesn't walk away from you and go, that's it, I'm done checking out. I can't, I can't, I, this dude, I can't handle him. I, I've had enough. No. He is cheering you on. He hopes you get it right. He wants you to get it right. But he is not surprised any more than we're surprised when our kids are learning to walk that they take a tumble. It's going to happen. Now, you know, you tease that analogy out, and as we get older, we walk better. But listen, there's still times I still trip and fall on something, right? You too? Still trip and fall? I mean, it's still going to happen. God, and when it does, listen, God expects you from time to time to struggle with something and slip up and make a mistake. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God cannot love you more, and you want to hear something God can't do? No, God, yeah, God cannot love you more 
and he will not love you less. He just won't. It's his presence. It's his essence. Just step into it. Not trying to win his approval or not trying to live by perfection, but in response to his grace, just you don't have to perform for his approval. He has forgiven. If you're a Christian, he has forgiven you. If you gave your life to Christ and said, I want that, what he's doing, what, the forgiveness coming off that cross, I want on my life. The minute you said yes to that, you were forgiven, and you are completely approved by God. And again, if you're hearing that and you're like, well, I want that approval, come to Christ. Come be forgiven. Nothing you've done is so big that it, that it exceeds the mercy and grace of God. You can know that kind of forgiveness. It's not about being good. It's not about being perfect. People say, oh, I can't go to church. I'm not good enough to go to church. Neither are we. I don't want to go to church. There's a bunch of hypocrites going to church. Come on, we could use one more. Listen, because of what Jesus did, and what did Jesus do? I told you last week in the communion meditation that Romans 5.8 is my favorite passage. At the end of Romans 5.8, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves you. He didn't wait for you to clean it all up and get better. He didn't wait for you to become sinless to earn it because you can't. You're never going to be that good, and God knows that. He says, Why? it's your sin problem, and God said, I'm going to fix your sin problem. While we were still sinners, still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Step into it. Feel it. And let the pressure leave. Choose people over perfection and perfect love over perfect performance. Be mature, be complete in the unconditional, undeserved love of God. Listen to me. Listen real loud and clear, and then we're done. The pressure is off. Let's pray. Father, some people in here came in, they don't, they're not even worried about living for you i'm not sure why they're here maybe maybe she's real pretty um maybe they're trying to earn some attention or favor i i don't know but most of us have come in here this morning because we love you we want to worship you we're trying to live up to this standard of behavior and it's 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 called your word it's the law and it's good and it's perfect and god we are so jacked up and so messed up that we struggle sometimes to to just live up to any of it much less all of it and so we before you this morning recognize that we are sinful and we need a savior we cannot do this on our own and father the last thing we want to do is disappoint you or let you down and that's how we feel oftentimes when we can't live up to the standard Help us to see that we have your approval. Help us to see that you see us the same way we see our kids when they stumble and fall. We don't remove our love from them. We don't scold them and chastise them and make fun of them. We help them up and we try to teach them to walk better. And that's what you're trying to do with us. So Father, would we just leave this place living from your approval this morning, knowing that it's already been done, that we are loved, cherished, by our Heavenly Father. Father, for the one that's in this room, 
that has never repented and given their life to Christ, I pray that they would see it not as something that they have to live up to. I pray that they would finally see it for what it is. It is the free gift of forgiveness that you have given to us through Jesus from the cross. And our sins are completely forgiven and the pressure is off. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.